morning. I would, uh, I would assume that most all of us have probably had our uh, fill of turkey for another year, pretty much for a while. Some of us may uh, be so sick of leftovers at this point that it would be okay if we didn't see another turkey sandwich for several weeks. That would be my guess. As our nation got together this past week, or came together and celebrated the national feast of Thanksgiving, so too. God's spiritual family, the Church of Christ, Christ's Church, has come together today to celebrate a much more incredible and meaningful feast, a spiritual feast, here this morning on this Lord's Day. We have come together to feast and to be filled and to enjoy a few special moments of sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ with one another. We have come this morning to feast on him who is the bread of heaven and the living water came to us by God's grace, John 4 through 6. And just as the first century Church of Christ and every congregation of the Lord's Church has done ever since the Lord's Church came into existence on that day of Pentecost, we have assembled together this morning to celebrate and partake of Christ, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. We've come together to keep the feast, the festival, not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. As I say those verses, as I quote those and we stop to think about it, we're all very familiar with the fact that Jesus often used food illustrations. He used a lot of earthly illustrations to give us spiritual truths and spiritual concepts, things that he wanted us to learn. And, and many of them did have to do, indeed, with food. Again, we've mentioned a couple already. Bread of heaven living water, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're all familiar with Jesus' usage of the term salt of the earth. This morning, I want to give you a far more obscure food illustration. I want to give you a food illustration this morning that I hope that you will hang on to and that you will remember one with which we need to be very familiar with and acquainted with as well. This ingredient, if I can use that term, is found in a number of our more familiar New Testament passages. In fact, this term occurs 222 times in the Bible in 192 verses in the New King James Version. It occurs all the way from Genesis 1.26 to Revelation 19.7, over 200 times in between. Now when I initially mentioned this particular food item, you might think, why did we ever hire Doug? He's insane. That's okay. Initial, as long as it's only initial, I'm okay with that. But after today, I hope that you never forget 
this food ingredient, or more importantly, some of the extremely delicious recipes for successful Christian living that it occurs in. What is this? Somebody moved my illustration. What is this food illustration? What is this term that occurs so often in the scriptures? This term that plays such a role in our daily Christian walk, if indeed it is to be totally fulfilling to both God and, I, God and us. Lettuce. Lettuce. Now as you sat there, being Bible students, you may say, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Lettuce does not occur in the Bible even once, let alone over 200 times. Au contraire. While Jesus was the bread that came down out of heaven, and he was the living water which God in his goodness sent down to feed and to fill the souls of those who hunger and thirst after him, biblical lettuce has to do with the offerings that we send back up to God which fill him and God enjoys. Biblical lettuce it has to do with our response to God who feeds and fills us with a feast from heaven. It has to do with what we send him back to feast on from us. Don't think lettuce is in the Bible? Lettuce. Now turn to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, we're going to find that very important ingredient present, not once, not twice, not three times, but we're going to find it six times in just six short verses. Psalm 95, we find lettuce six times. Psalm 95, beginning in verse 1, reads as follows. O come, lettuce. Sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is God, we're the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. I hope that from this day forward, every time that you go to a salad bar, every time that you go in, to the fresh vegetable section of your local supermarket. When you see a head of lettuce, you will remember Psalm 95. That you will remember that our response to send God that which thrills his soul. Let me ask you, does it not just thrill your soul this morning that God sent us the bread of heaven and the living water? And so we feast on that, and that is, that is an illustration we feed on that, it is symbolic I should say, I'm sorry, 
but we feast on that, but we send God back up these praises. Does it make God happy in verse 2 when we come before his presence with thanksgiving and we shout joyfully to him? Does that make God happy? Does that fill God's heart with joy? Yes. We send up to God biblical lettuce for him to feast on. Look at another extremely important recipe in the scriptures that includes this item, lettuce, which we must prepare and send up to fill the heart and please the soul of God. Turn to me to Isaiah chapter 1. Oh, the Bible is rich in lettuce. Isaiah chapter 1. And so many of the references or the ingredients, as I would put it, so many of the recipes that include lettuce have to do with us sending that to God which fills him with joy. It's our response to his love. In Isaiah chapter 1, it says in verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. God in this passage is letting his people know that he's more sick and tired of their sacrifices than we are of a turkey sandwich right now. He's letting them know that he doesn't want those anymore. And, and why is that? It's because all they're doing is offering these sacrifices. They're not truly living as his people. They don't truly have a heart after God. They're just going through a checklist and, and they're sacrificing and they're sacrificing these things, but their heart is not in it. So look what he says that he desires for them to do instead. In verse 18, it all starts with lettuce. Verse 18, come now, God says. This is what would please him. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, does it please God when we're willing and obedient? Yes. God desires obedience, not sacrifice. God says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat. Here's another food text. You shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, come on, be reasonable. Let us reason together, and I will take care of you. When we have a humble heart that is willing to let God have his way with us, that pleases God. That's that spiritual lettuce. But they didn't. They didn't. Around a century later, in fact, their city lay in ruins because they did not come and reason together with God. And Lamentations 3, verses 40 and 41, at that point would say, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. When they didn't listen the first time, when God said, come, let us reason together, and, and they just weren't willing to turn, they weren't willing to be obedient, and it cost them dearly. That's what the writer of Lamentations said. He said, you know what? We can still go back to God. Let us turn and go back to God. God is so patient with us. Aren't you glad this morning God's patient? We would notice the same sort of remedy and recipe that will prevent our spiritual death and decay today if we were to turn to 2 Corinthians 13, 5. But I'm not going to do that now. It simply says there that we are to test ourselves. Let us test ourselves. That word isn't in there, let us, but 
Turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. I want to show you some crucial biblical lettuce this morning. It's all crucial, but this is really crucial. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea, book we don't turn to a whole lot maybe, but we will this morning. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Look what Hosea says. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he is torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Let us, let us, let us, let us. It's all full of, full of lettuce. And this lettuce is crucial when he says, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. If you turn back in your Bibles, just a couple of chapters to Hosea chapter 4, I'll show you why it is so crucial that we pursue the knowledge. And the word pursue there in Hosea 6 and verse 3, the word pursue has to do, you've got to do something. If you're pursuing, you're putting in some work, right? If you're going out and some of you have been deer hunting, okay? You're out there in pursuit of a deer, you're actually moving, you're putting some effort in it. It's causing you a little sweat, it's causing you a little work. When the Bible says that we are to pursue peace with all men, or that we are to, as it says there, pursue knowledge, it means continually put the effort in. And we see why that lettuce is so crucial when we look in Hosea 4, a couple of chapters prior to, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So look what he says in verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest for me. Because you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. That's why when it says, let us pursue knowledge in chapter 6, just two chapters later, it is so important. And brethren, I got to tell you, how many of you have got the Bible completely memorized? Raise your hand. Nobody? We are to never stop growing. When the Bible says, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord, that doesn't just mean to find out how to get saved and repent and be baptized. It's not what it's talking about. If when your mother was carrying you, she was sitting in the pews and she was learning, and you're 150 now, and there's probably nobody here that age either, but if you are, you're not done learning. This is pursuit. It's a lifelong thing. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Folks, we've got to keep doing that. If you don't think so, look at some of the religious teachings around you out there in the world. Stop and think about some of the strange things some people believe. A zeal for God without knowledge won't get you anywhere. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. A zeal for God. There's people that are zealous for God. They claim to want God, but they have absolutely no idea what his word says. Sometimes I get in a discussion with religious people, and they'll make some point. And I'm thinking, have you ever opened a Bible? I had a conversation with a man not too long ago, I think since he moved over here. We were, we were out somewhere, and he was talking, and he said, well, you know, I, he says, I go to church, or however the conversation went. And he says, and I believe, he says, you know, as long as you worship, it really doesn't matter. 
Does it matter? Does it matter what you believe? Absolutely. And here's this man, and he's a, he's a nice guy, and he's, he seems to be a nice guy. And we're talking, I've never met him before, but we're talking, we're talking about God, talking about Christ, you know, and, and these sorts of, sorts of things. And he makes this point, and I'm thinking, I want to say, have you ever read Matthew 15 or Mark 7? It matters what you believe. We can worship in vain. We have to have this knowledge. Continual accumulation of knowledge is crucial to our being guaranteed heaven. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. You know the text. He talks about how God's divine power has given us everything we need. And he goes through this whole list about all adding knowledge and adding love and adding, for if these qualities are yours, the ESV says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, does that only apply to people who have been Christians for five years? 20 years? No. He's writing to all of them. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, he goes on to say in verse 11, this is how you're guaranteed entrance into heaven. How many of you want to be guaranteed entrance into heaven? I'm going to put both hands up because I want to be guaranteed. Guaranteed. Amen. I'm guaranteed because of the blood of Christ and the grace of God, but I'm also guaranteed I have got to accept it on their terms and I've got to continue to grow. Because you know what? When you stop growing, it's like stopping breathing. It's going to take you to bad places that you don't want to go. Therefore, as Hosea 6.3 says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. But you know, it's not limited just to the Old Testament. There's a lot of good less in, in the New Testament as well. Consider with me, if you would, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is full of lettuce. I mean, it's a lettuce sandwich. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. Three verses, three lettuces. I don't think that's a word, but work with me. Romans 13, 12 through 14. And imagine how pleasing this lettuce is to God when this lettuce is included in our spirituality. It says there, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That is a great passage on let us. When we do those things as God pleased, yes. It pleases God when we give him that, that lettuce. We're going to be talking at Christ Aid here next Sunday night. Next Sunday, yeah, next Sunday night. We're going to talk about, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk. Let us walk properly. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. If you want to turn there, that's fine. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at about verse 14, he goes through what we've got to do and how we need to come out and be separate and all of those things if we're going to be sons and daughters of the living God. And he talks about how God wants to be our Father and all of those sorts of things. And then he says in chapter 7 and verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, Therefore, having these promises, how much God wants to be our Father, and if we just come out from the sin and, and leave that, that world and that life and that strife behind and we'll just come out and be his sons and daughters, he says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us 
Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're all very familiar with Galatians chapter 5. Turn there, the fruit of the spirit. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you probably taught this. If you've been in the church any amount of time, you've probably heard the fruit of the spirit preached on or you've read something written on it or something. But it's familiar as it is, it's another lettuce passage. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22, reads as follows. I told you there were some familiar texts. They were packed full of lettuce. Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, in other words, if we do those things that he's just mentioned and don't go with the works of the flesh, which he had mentioned just before then, but if we're, if we're Christians and if we live by the Spirit and we're trying to live a life of love and joy and peace and all of this fruit of the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walk in the walk again, not just talk in the talk. Look at the next verse. Let us. Not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Look at chapter 6, verse 7 and following. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially the household of faith. Does it please God when we continue to be persistent in doing good? Doesn't that just please God when we, when we do good to all people, especially the household of faith? That's that let us passage right here. That we send that back up to God. Do you know, maybe there's no... Maybe there's not a much stronger or more concentrated dose of biblical lettuce than we find in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Thirteen times in twelve texts we find the phrase lettuce. And one of the ones that I need the most in my life is in Hebrews chapter 4. Very familiar passage. Incredibly familiar passage. Three verses. Two helpings of lettuce. Who said lettuce had no food value, right? <laughs> Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast. Don't let go of Jesus. Don't let go of Jesus. <laughs> For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God wants us to come boldly to his throne of grace when we make a mistake. God doesn't want us to run off and hide. You know, I've seen folks before leave the church because they're embarrassed or... They've done something that they shouldn't have done. Brethren, God says, I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. I want you to come to me for the grace and mercy you need to help you get back on your feet. Don't leave. 
Worst thing you can do when you're in trouble is leave the Lord. He's your source of help. So he says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help. Turn to me, if you would, to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Let's look. This is, this is another one of those lattice passages that's really awesome. They're all awesome because they're God's word, but Hebrews 10. It's a rather lengthy reading, but let me get through it fairly quickly. I've got to set, this, set the tone here. Verse 12, Hebrews 10. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant I'll make with him after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Aren't you glad this morning? Think of your own life. Don't think somebody else's. I'll think of mine, you think of yours. Aren't you grateful this morning, knowing that one sin can keep you out of heaven, that God has perfected you forever to stand before him? Isn't God awesome? Amen. My sin's gone. As far as the east is from... I, it, yeah, and I want to keep preaching the lesson, but brethren, it's so hard to just read over these verses. There's so much, so much goodness God has given to us. Where there is remission of sin, these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, as we talked about in Bible class this morning, and we all know what the therefore is, therefore, right? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, come near to God, because he's given us his grace, his love, his blood, draw near, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Brethren, we, God extends his grace to us and his love and his forgiveness through the blood of Christ. And we have to access that through baptism. We have to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins because that's what God said. And this alludes to that and this is the first helping of lettuce that we find in verse 10, uh, find in chapter 10. But the thing is, is right here in chapter 10, there's three helpings of lettuce. That's only the first one. Look at verse 23. Here's the second one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know what that means? That means... Hold on to God no matter what. Hold on to the confession of our hope. We have claimed that our hope is in Christ, that we know God. He says, hold on to that. Let us hold on to that without wavering. Why? Oh, no, here comes a storm. God must not be watching over me. No. What does he say? Doesn't matter the storm. Doesn't matter the darkness. Doesn't matter the problem. Doesn't matter the trial. Hold on to the confession of your faith because what? God is faithful. You know what that means? God made you promises, and God ain't backing out. Even if it's dark. Even when it hurts. God is faithful. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession. Once we draw near to him, we've got to hold fast. 
That's what I call gorilla glue Christianity. Hold fast, because God is faithful. And finally, the third helping right here in chapter 10 of Hebrews, of heart-healthy spiritual lettuce is in verses 24 and following. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. We need each other. You know that? We need each other. If God had meant for us to become Christians and walk this walk alone, then he would have said so. We need each other. How many of you are more encouraged? Now, I'm not even going to ask that question. Don't, don't raise your hands, because everybody in here ought to. How many of you feel more encouraged on Sunday afternoon after you've been here Sunday morning? I don't come to church. Somebody asked me once right after we were converted. Family member said, why do you have to go up there? And I said, I don't have to. I want to. Yes, I have to come to church because God said, don't forsake the assembly. But it's more about wanting to because of what God's done for me. Who wouldn't want to come and worship a God who's done for me what my God has done for me? Everything. Everything. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How can you keep me away from here on Sunday? Let us consider, encourage, and stir up one another in a good way to loving good works by continually coming together to worship. When we come together to worship, we come together to do many things, to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to teach and admonish, admonish one another, to pray earnestly for one another, to continue to grow because that's essential to our guarantee of heaven. We come together to commune with Christ on the first day of the week and with one another as the body comes together for that. We come together on Sunday to give thanks. Every Sunday is Thanksgiving Day for a Christian. To give of our means and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. You know why? Because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We probably all worshiped in places where there's a very, very small <coughs> amount of people, where there's 8, 10, 12, probably most of us have. And, and that's encouraging that they keep going. But brethren, when there's 200 members of the church and there's only 55 showing up, it's discouraging, isn't it? It just breaks your heart. It's discouraging. So when we're all here, what does that do? Let me ask you a question. If you come, if you come to worship, because we don't come to church, if you come to worship on Sunday morning, and every single member of the church was present. Would that light you up? Amen. And so we come to encourage, let us not forsake the assembly, but continue to encourage one another because of the great God of heaven and what he has given to us. Let us. Hebrews 10. Draw near. Hold fast and never leave the safety and security of the sacred assembly.
ever. Or as the Apostle John put it in 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's what we do when we worship together. We love in deed and in truth. We encourage, we build up, we support, we work together. If my brain sends signals to my legs right now to stop working, I'm going right on my beak. My legs have got to work with the rest of my body, right? And when we come together to work and worship together, the whole body is doing what it ought to do. And we support one another. My legs support me. That's the way the body of Christ works. That's what we do when we worship together. We love one another. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. 1 John 4, 7. Do not, do not walk by, let us, and look at it ever the same again. Think of Romans 13, think of Psalm 95, or think of this verse that we are going to close with in our Bibles. Let us now end the lesson with one final let us scripture that's going to serve as the invitation, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation, chapter 19. You know, some people carry a little card with a cross on it or a verse or something in their wallet or their purse to remind them on a daily basis. How many of you have ever done that? Just to remind them on a daily basis that they're a Christian. If somebody finds you in the supermarket in the, you know, the, the, the fresh produce just looking at a head of lettuce and says, what are you doing? Let me tell you about Psalm 95. Let us worship the Lord. Our invitation this morning is in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, where it reads as follows. This is our invitation to the Father's house, to the family table, and to the feast that awaits. If you are not a child of God this morning, by virtue of having obeyed the gospel as God requires, Revelation 19, 7 and 8, let us. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Number one, are you a saint this morning in the biblical sense, meaning one who has been cleansed and made holy, sanctified? If you are not, if you've never repented and been baptized to be cleansed and become a saint, a holy one, a sanctified one, the blood of Christ having washed your sins away. If you've never been baptized to become a saint, you need to do that. God wants to wash every sin of yours away. How can you tell him no after all he's done for you? And number two, if you are somebody who is a saint in the biblical sense, you've been sanctified by the blood of Christ, by obedience to the gospel. But you haven't maybe kept your linen as fine and white and clean as you, as you should. Maybe your righteous acts haven't been as righteous as they ought to be. Maybe you need prayers of the church to be strengthened to do more righteous acts. We can help with that or there's just a struggle on your heart. If there's anything we can help you with along those lines this morning, don't just sit there while we sing and listen to the music. God knows if your heart's breaking. God knows if you need to be baptized and so do you. Don't just sit there. Walk out of the pew, come down front, and let us help you. It's not that hard. I have to do it every Sunday. Get out of the pew, walk down front. If you have a need, please come to the front. Let us stand and sing while that is done.